0: But I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here Welcome we go. So Welcome the podcast of the America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, September 20th. 2021, people, hope everybody had a great weekend. Hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Couple things. First of all, if I sound a little bit different, uh, we do have some technical issues with my home studio. Those will hopefully be fixed by Wednesday's show. I'm doing this through Zoom. I still think I sound pretty good, but it's just not the same. So we'll get that fixed for Wednesday's show. Uh, But other than that, normal show. And what I want to do is I actually don't want to open with an individual game but a topic in general. The topic is this. The topic is the idea that for years we have been asking for, hoping for, change top college football. Can we get some new teams in this playoff? Well, this is the year. I think we're going to get some chaos over these next seven, eight, nine weeks. And I think we're going to have a playoff that's lo- that looks unlike anything that we have ever seen before. From there, we'll get into some individual games. Auburn at Penn State. Alabama actually struggling a little bit in the Swamp. Uh, USC looked awesome post Clay Helton. UCLA, not so much. So a lot to get into, a lot to break down. But I do want to start with the topic of the day. And it's funny because sometimes when I say, uh, you know, let's talk about the topic of the day, uh, it isn't always actually a topic. Sometimes it's Georgia played Clemson, what does it mean? Oregon played Ohio State, what does it mean? Well, today it is a true topic because, again, rather than starting with the biggest game and getting into it and what does it mean? Penn State, Auburn, Alabama, Florida, whatever. Today's topic to me is much bigger. I think all of the games that were played on Saturday lead into a bigger topic. And the bigger topic is this. We have heard from ye- for years complaints from college football fans that college football and the college football playoff is getting stale. It's the same couple teams every year it's Bama, it's Clemson, it's Oklahoma, it's Ohio State. You could basically, in pen, in permanent ink, put three of those four teams, if not all four, in the playoff going into every season. And I'm just going to tell you this. If you want chaos, if you want different teams in the college football playoff, and by the way, I'm not sure that you do. I'm curious to see if the ratings will reflect it. But if you want change atop college football and in the playoff, I think this is the year. I think this is the year where we get all sorts of change atop college football. And uh, let's get into it because I think we are looking at an unprecedented regular season, at least in the college football playoff era, where those two, three, four teams are not going to run away with their conferences. We are not going to have to wait until the college football playoff to see Ohio State get challenged, Clemson get challenged, et cetera. Um, And I also think there's some teams that are emerging, which again, for the third, fourth, fifth time already, is going to lead to a fascinating college football playoff. Why is that? Why are things so different based on what we know through three weeks? The reason is, is pretty simple. First of all, there, there are two reasons, right? And, and there are two very simple reasons. You don't need to be a rocket scientist. Uh, you don't need to be a brain surgeon to figure it out. There are some teams that I don't think we, any, any of us thought were going to be as good as they are that are slowly starting to emerge and separating themselves from the pack and really might be in position to make the college football playoff, and we'll get into each individual of those teams, But then also, the Clemson's, Ohio State's, Oklahomas are struggling atop college football this year. And so when I look at college football right now, let's get into it. Because as I said, there are a few teams that, in my opinion, they just look better than I could have ever imagined. And I think are in prime position to make a real run at the playoff. Now, if you want to argue the top two were kind of traditional name brands, that's fine. Alabama, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Yes, they struggled, but they still went to the Swamp. They still won. They're still going to be a factor at the end of the year. And the fact that they did win in the Swamp, I believe we shouldn't, you know, we're not going. To, I'm not going to tear down Alabama because they won in the Swamp. Uh, instead, I'm going to say I still think that team's really good top college football. So I'm not necessarily talking about them, and I'm not necessarily talking about my dogs, Georgia, whoop, 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 the team that I picked to win the national championship, because I think right now those are probably the two best teams in college football. But when you start trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be in the playoff conversation late into the year? Uh, I think it's going to be some teams that we have not really considered before. The first one, uh, how about my Oregon Ducks? Okay, they're not really my Oregon Ducks. I was never a believer until last week. But I talked a lot about uh, the Oregon Ducks last week on Monday's episode. And I basically said, look, they've exceeded all my expectations. They go to Ohio State. They physically dominate Ohio State. And it was just one of the most impressive wins that I have seen this season. Now, maybe Ohio State's not that good. We will get into them in a minute. But at the same time, when you are a team that goes to the horseshoe, you step on the field and physically, athletically, whatever, you look superior to Ohio State, who recruits the best of the best every single season, I'm buying you as a real contender. thing that Oregon also has going for it, the Pac-12 outside the top two or three really stink. Uh, UCLA did lose on Saturday night late to Fresno State. I don't necessarily know that that's a be all end all. I still think UCLA is a good eight and four, nine and three type team. I will tell you straight up, I said from the beginning, I never bought the narrative that like UCLA was like the, the program that the Pac 12 needed and they're, they're going to be in the playoff. No, no, I was like, look, they went three and four last year, uh, whatever it was, four and eight the year before. I did think they were on an upward trajectory, but to expect them to go from three and four to 12-1 and and in the playoff was never realistic. But I still think they're a good team, and that will be a challenge for Oregon in the regular season, possibly in the the Pac-12 championship game as well. But the rest of the slate for Oregon, it looks pretty manageable because the Pac-12 outside of uh, Oregon, UCLA maybe being pretty good, and USC finding its legs without Clay Helton, there ain't that much to really go on. Uh, Oregon this coming weekend plays Arizona. Not sure if you saw. They lost to Northern Arizona on Saturday, Arizona losing to Northern Arizona. For those scoring at home, Northern Arizona is not good. Then Oregon has Stanford and Cal before that UCLA game. But we're looking at a legitimate scenario where Oregon may only play one ranked team the rest of the regular season. That is UCLA at the Rose Bowl on October 23rd. They do not play USC. They do not play Arizona State, which even though they lost to BYU, I think is actually a pretty good team. At this point in the season, the Sun Devils with Herm Edwards, they're a little limited in what they could do, but I think they're probably somewhere between the 18th to 25th best team in college football. So you look at Oregon, and outside of that UCLA game, they should be a comfortable favorite in every game, and I think they are going to have a resume towards the end of the year that looks like a college football playoff resume. How about in the Big Ten? Let's go to the Big Ten because Ohio State has dominated this thing four straight Big Ten championships. Even before that, they have made a playoff when they didn't win the Big Ten back in 2016. But you look at the Big Ten right now. Who are the best teams? Maybe Penn State, who I want to talk about in a minute. I don't want to break them down too much in depth right now this second because I just sit there and say Penn State looks really good. Two really quality wins, one on the road at Wisconsin, the other one at home on Saturday night against Auburn. They're physical. They're tough. I think they have talent at the skill position uh, spots. I don't think they're elite. I don't think they have an elite quarterback. But they have kind of a game that allows them to be in every single game and can they make enough plays to win like they did on Saturday night. I I think Penn State's really good, and we're going to talk about them in a minute. Also in the Big Ten, it's worth considering. How about them Iowa Hawkeyes, right? I mean, I know talking Iowa football is about as sexy as talking to your uncle uh, uh, about the stock market on a Sunday morning, okay? But I'm just telling you, Iowa, I don't know if they're for real, but they're not a fraud. And the reason they're not a fraud, they play insane defense. Remember, they have already played two ranked teams this season. They are, they're they're currently only giving up a total of 10 points per game this season in terms of their total uh, output. Teams are only averaging 10 points per game this season. Uh, teams are struggling to move the ball against them they're in the top 20 in total defense and yards per play and Iowa I do think they're a little limited offensively but at the same time defensively turnovers all of the things that you need to do to win they're in position could Iowa you say you don't want the, you say you want some shakeup in the college football playoff we might have a scenario where Iowa gets in and I also think there's two other teams that we have to at least talk about in the playoff picture Outside of the obvious ones, Alabama, Georgia, the big names, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, who we'll get into a minute. But if those teams continue to struggle, and I do want to talk about those teams specifically, there's two other teams that I think by the end of the year could be in the mix. The first one is Cincinnati. Uh, I didn't think that it was an incredible effort by Cincinnati, but to go on the road, beat Indiana in Bloomington uh, the way that they played, uh, you know, listen, they got a bye this week and then they play at Notre Dame. If they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame and they beat Indiana at Indiana, by the end of the year, if they are undefeated, they should be in playoff consideration. Not saying they'll get in, not saying it'll definitively happen, not even saying that they'll be undefeated because I saw some stuff from Cincinnati on Saturday that, you know, I kind of felt like I thought they were really good, maybe not quite as good as I expected, but I only bring it up to say that they play at Notre Dame And if they can get through that game, the schedule sets up nicely where they could be undefeated at the end of the year, by the way, you know, who else, although it's early, we do have to talk about in the playoff conversation, BYU. I know it sounds stupid. They've only played three games. What do we even know about them? They lost Zach Wilson. Here's the bottom line that you have to think about with BYU. This is what you need to know about BYU. BYU right now, first of all, three games, Three wins over three power five teams. I, I I don't know this for sure. I am pretty sure they're the only country, they're the only team in the country that can say that. They beat Arizona on opening weekend in Vegas. They take care of Utah at home last weekend. They take care of Arizona State at home on Saturday night. And so when you look at BYU, they're 3-0, well coached, play well, all that stuff. But here's the other thing you have to consider. Look at their schedule. They play seven power five teams okay so they basically play a full conference slate of power five opponents um you know the ACC only plays eight conference games the SEC only plays nine co- uh, eight conference games so BYU when you factor in that they have seven uh seven power five teams on the schedule when you factor in that on top of that they have uh Boise who's a traditionally good team that's eight quality games that are on that schedule And so if they go undefeated, they should at least be in the conversation for a playoff spot. I'm not saying they get in. I'm not saying they're going undefeated. And I know it sounds crazy to talk about, well, what happens if this and what But this is college football. We have to react in the moment. And what I am telling you is if these teams continue to play the way that they do, we're going to have to have conversations about them. I would add, it's also worth noting, they're the ones that are actually playing well. I mean, I could sit on this show and spend an hour talking about Ohio State or talking about Oklahoma. My job is to talk about the teams that are relevant, that matter. And right now, BYU's playing better than Oklahoma is. Uh, Cincinnati's playing better than Ohio State is. And so we have to discuss these teams. And we have to, at the very least, right now, keep an eye on them going forward. It's also worth noting that not only do we have to acknowledge that these teams are in the conversation – The other part of this equation is this. It'd be one thing if BYU was 3-0. It'd be one thing if Iowa was 3-0. It'd be another thing if Iowa was 3-0, but Ohio State was 3-0 looking like Ohio State in the Big Ten. Or BYU was potentially on their way to an undefeated season, but guess what? Clemson was going to be undefeated with six 40-point wins, and they they weren't missing out. And so when we talk about a potential playoff shakeup this year, the other factor in this is this. The teams that are usually at the top of the sport stink this year, okay? And again, I'm going to put Alabama aside because I do think winning in the swamp is worth something. But did you see the efforts and really the season-long efforts from Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma? I mean, those are three teams that usually it's pretty clear they're just going to run away with their conference, right? Ohio State just just generally runs away with the Big Ten, um, and we're not, we know that they're not even going to get challenged until they get to the playoff and they have to play a Clemson or an Alabama. Clemson, usually a team that doesn't even get challenged in the ACC um, until the, the, maybe the ACC championship game and then the playoff. Well, guess what? I'm telling you, on top of the fact that Iowa and Oregon and BYU and Cincinnati might just be better than we think, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma might actually be worse than we think. And so let's get into those teams because that is part of this equation as well. Again, be one thing if Cincinnati was good, if Ohio State and Clemson were unbeatable, that'd be another conversation altogether. Same with Iowa, same with Penn State. But when it comes to these three teams, I'm just telling you, they're not good, right? And I want to start with each one individually and kind of talk about which one I'm the most worried about, which one I'm the least worried about. I'll be honest. The one that I'm most worried about is actually Clemson, okay? Uh, Listen, this isn't an anti-Dabo thing. This isn't an anti-ACC thing. I think there have definitively been years where Clemson was the best team in the country. They proved it on the field. It didn't matter who they played in the regular season. They were ready for the playoff. They were ready to compete with Alabama and Ohio State. This ain't that year, though. Did you see the game on Saturday with Clemson? They stink, right? They open against Georgia, and we can all forgive. Oh, Georgia, they're incredible. Their defense is amazing. And I tend to agree. Georgia's my preseason national championship pick. How about my dogs? Georgia's my national championship pick. But when it comes to Clemson, you can excuse the, the effort against them, and you don't even have to quote-unquote excuse it. You can just call a spade a spade and say it was two great defenses. Georgia made one more play. They won that game. But Georgia, to their credit, has been blowing out some good teams since, the last, since they played Clemson, whereas Clemson on Saturday, don't know if you saw, they beat Georgia Tech 14-8. And when you go back and look, everyone's going to make all the excuses in the world for Clemson. There was this big, long, extended weather delay. And well, you know, they had to come out and play and then go back to the locker room and this and that. People were going to say, oh, Georgia Tech. I mean, Georgia Tech was just up. It's their biggest game of the season. Georgia Tech gave up 70 to Clemson last year. And so to me, this is actually an extension of a problem that I talked about after the Georgia game. And frankly, a problem that I talked about uh, even in the preseason. And that is that Clemson was a little one dimensional offensively, even dating back to last year and it was covered up by Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence was phenomenal, number one pick in the NFL draft. He's getting ready for his second game right as I start to record here on Sunday afternoon, the Air Sports Podcast. But Trevor Lawrence made up for the fact that Clemson couldn't really run the ball last year, 77th in the country in rushing yardage. And so after the Georgia game, I came out and said, I'm worried about Clemson. Clemson fans, crush me. You can go check the YouTube comments. What are you talking about? We played a great team, top 10 team. Why are you worried about us? Stick to basketball. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, whatever. Here's the thing. How are you feeling now, Clemson fans? Because Georgia, the the Bulldogs left the building, okay? You had the Yellow Jackets on Sunday, Saturday, and you couldn't move the ball. You finished the game. Georgia Tech finishes with more first downs, more total yards, Clemson 284 yards of total offense against Georgia tech and had to hold on for dear life. And when you look at this offense, this offense isn't moving the ball. Like I said, last year, they could not run the ball, but the pro- the, the thing that Clemson had going for them, they had some guy named Trevor Lawrence, at quarterback. So nobody noticed it until the college football playoff this year though. It's hard not to notice that they still can't run the ball. How about this for a stat that is going to blow your mind right now. Clemson is ranked 113th nationally in total offense, 113th nationally in total offense. You know who's ahead of them right now in terms of offensive output? Arizona, who lost to Northern Arizona this weekend. Uh, New Mexico State, don't know if you heard of them, not very good. Georgia Southern, Northern Illinois, South Florida, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is putting up more yards per game then Clemson is, and people say, "Oh, it was the Georgia." game. It wasn't the Georgia game. It, they played Georgia Tech yesterday at home, hundred thousand fans in Death Valley. They put up fourteen points and less than two hundred yards of total, two, less than three hundred yards of total offense. DJ, I like him. He ain't Trevor Lawrence, at least not yet. He is averaging five point five yards per completion. So he basically needs two completed passes just to get a first down. Fifty nine percent completion percentage. This offense is not getting better. And I know people will say, well, they play in the ACC. They're just going to run the table. I've been watching sports long enough, guys. When a team is flawed, when a team is not who they have been, somebody catches them eventually. Sometimes it's in professional sports. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs last year, right? They keep playing these close games, these close games, these close games. Well, they're the Chiefs. They'll pull it out. And then they get smoked in the the Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Somebody in the ACC is going to have the game plan to beat them. I don't know if it's NC State this coming weekend, I don't know if it's Boston College, I don't know if somebody will beat Clemson because they are too flawed this year. They are not a playoff team to me. I did a top 10 on Sunday. They're not in my top 10 right now. I don't think they're that good. Speaking of teams I don't think are that good, Oklahoma. Now the problem, the good thing Oklahoma has going for it, at least they are undefeated, something that Clemson and Ohio State can't say. But Oklahoma's not good people. We all watched that Nebraska game. Oklahoma wins 23 to 16. But we know what happened. Nebraska missed two field goals that they should have made. Nebraska had a PAT blocked and returned for a two-point conversion score by Oklahoma. Let's do some math there. They win by seven. Nebraska gifts them eight points or has eight points that should have been on the board that are taken off. Guess who wins that game? Nebraska wins that game. Now, by the way, there might be something to be said about Nebraska finally turning a corner under Scott Frost. Now, I need to see uh, Nebraska and Adrian, uh, Adrian Martinez, two, three games in a row without crazy turnovers before I believe that they're on the right trajectory. But part of this is Oklahoma, too. They've played two FBS teams. Take out the FCS game against Western Carolina. Don't even know where Western Carolina is. Somewhere in the Western Carolinas, I would guess. Take out that game. Five-point win against Tulane. Take out that game. Six-point win against Nebraska when Nebraska get wrapped and made points. That is Oklahoma's resume to date. And by the way, this defense that was supposed to be so important, it's a two-pronged thing. I don't want to blame one side or the other. First of all, the offense, Spencer Rattler, listen, you guys know me. I don't like to criticize people on this podcast. I don't like to criticize college kids. They're doing their best. They're not professionals, even though they kind of are now because of name-image likeness. But with Spencer Rattler, we've been waiting for him to be the next guy, right? They had Baker Mayfield. They had Kyler. They had Jalen Hurts. We're waiting for him to be – he's not it. He's not it. This is year three, okay? Baker comes in as a, you know, after redshirting year two, wins the job. He's the dude for three years. Kyler Murray comes in one game. You're like, oh, this guy is awesome. Jalen Hurts had a track record. Spencer Rattler, this is year three. Redshirted as a freshman behind Jalen Hurts. Last season, uh, played, you know, obviously was part of an Oklahoma Big 12 championship team. Struggled early, got better late. We're now in year three. We're out of excuses with Spencer Rattler. I just don't think he's good in games against FBS opponents. Again, take out Western Carolina. That's not a real team. That's not. You're not playing Western Carolina in the Big 12 or the college football playoff. Take him out against Tulane, against Oklahoma, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That's it. Defense, I heard how much improved they were this year. Take out the Western Carolina game. They're 85th nationally in total defense. They're getting gashed. People are moving the ball on them. Now, in terms of Oklahoma going forward. To me, it's kind of the same thing with Clemson. People will say, yeah, but it's the Big 12. Somebody, no, they're flawed. They have problems. Maybe they are the team because they did survive out of conference play without a loss. Maybe they are the team that can potentially get to 11-1 and one and a playoff. But I'm telling you, they're, getting, they're losing at least once, maybe twice, because the offense ain't it, the defense ain't it, and somebody's going to clip them. It wouldn't even surprise me, by the way, they play West Virginia at home this weekend. West Virginia's tough. West Virginia can run the ball. West Virginia plays real defense. West Virginia can pull off that upset. If it's not West Virginia, somebody else is going to do it. Finally, it's worth noting. Ohio State. We talked about Clemson not being good, Oklahoma not being good. And Ohio State's an interesting one because, to me, Ohio State is a team that, you know, I think they have the most concerns, the most glaring concern. Um, They have the most problems, but I also believe they have the most upside as a program, right? Because you look at the way they recruit, there's so much talent, so much speed all over the field. They have the best skill position guys in college football. But I also think, and I do think some of this is, this is this perfect confluence of events that has all happened at once, right? First of all, you have a redshirt freshman quarterback who's never played college football before. You have a coach in Ryan Day who I think is actually kind of still figuring things out. He had it too easy. With Justin Fields, he inherits a first-round, can't-miss NFL quarterback. Now that he doesn't have Justin Fields to bail – I don't want to say bail him out, but he doesn't have Justin Fields to sling the ball all over the field and put up 40 points every time he steps on the field, all of a sudden, Ryan Day doesn't look like the boy genius that he did a year ago. Um, And so you have that, and, of course, you have the defense, which is just awful, got gashed for over 500 yards by Tulsa, and it's just kind of this perfect storm of events. And so, what I would say is Ohio State is when you start talking to me. If you said to me, Torres, out of the three that you've just talked about—Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State—out of those three, who is the one that you believe is the team that is best equipped to actually turn things around this year? I do think it's Ohio State because I I don't think I don't think the defense can possibly be worse than it has been. 500 plus yards against Oregon. Minnesota runs the ball right at them, and on Saturday, Tulsa. Tulsa rushed for over 500 yards in that game. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't think the defense can get worse. I think the offense will get more comfortable as they get more game reps. And I do think, like, the talent is there in, in a way that uh, I just really like their talent and their skill position, guys. And when you have six, seven guys on the field at any given time, maybe not any given time, but, but you know, three wide receivers and a running back at any given time that can rip off a 60-yard play, I think if the defense just gets a little bit better, this is going to be a really, really, really good team. Now, my concern with Ohio State is also maybe higher because, one, one, I don't know that the defense is going to get better. 500 yards against Tulsa, 500 yards against Oregon. I'm sensing a trend, and it's that that defense can't stop anybody. But here's the other thing you have to factor in with Ohio State. Ohio State's probably going to have the toughest road out of all of them. I mean, you look at Clemson's schedule. I still think there's going to be a loss somewhere along the way. But who is going to – like, there's not that game that you say, well, that, that team, I mean, that's the team right there. Circle that game on the calendar. No, it's the ACC. Everybody stinks. Boston College is okay. Notre Dame uh, – uh, NC State's okay. You look at Oklahoma. Iowa State's fine. West Virginia's fine. I do think they're going to get tripped up. But there's not that game that you're like, oh, my God. Like, how are they going to survive that one? But think about how good the Big Ten is right now. You got Penn State, who looks awesome. Michigan State just destroyed Miami. Michigan, I know it's Harbaugh. I know none of us think that Harbaugh is going to beat Ohio State, and they probably won't this year. They scored on their first nine possessions on Saturday. This offense looks different. It looks evolved. It looks mature. I'm not saying this is the year Michigan beats Ohio State. I'm just saying they look better than I thought they were in the preseason. And so when you add it, by the way, Maryland doesn't look terrible right now. Maryland is three and oh, Indiana at least plays real defense. And so again, with Ohio State, they already have that one loss. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you just look at the schedule. There's a lot of, all of a sudden, Penn State looks a lot tougher than it did six weeks ago. Michigan State looks tougher than it did 36 hours ago. Uh, Michigan looks tougher than it did two, three weeks ago. And I think Indiana and Maryland are game. And by the way, even if you get through them, you're probably gonna have to play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. And so I bring all this up to say, look, I know it's a little early to say, well, this team has the edge. and that. No, but this is college football. It's what we do. We react in real time the same way we react in the NFL, NBA, college basketball, whatever. And so what I'm telling you definitively is this, is that be ready. Just be prepared because everybody has been telling me for years that they want shakeup in college football. Well, you want shakeup in college football, you want shakeup in the playoff, you are going to get it this year. I am telling you definitively. I don't know who the teams are going to be. I don't know how it's going to shake out. I don't know if we're going to have an independent BYU or an AAC Cincinnati or we're going to have a two-loss team from this league or what. I'm just telling you, we're going to have a playoff that looks unlike anything that we have seen over the last three, four, five years. Whew, cannot lie. That was a heck of a first segment. Came out fired up. Hope everything sounds all right here on Zoom. That's what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and we will talk about that Penn State-Auburn game because your boy, I'm a dog. With my Georgia Bulldogs, I'm also a Nittany Lion, baby. I like Penn State a lot. We will be right back. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to transition to some stuff on the field as it pertains to actual results, right? Because the first segment we kind of just talked about, the big picture, the playoff, who might be there in the end, who might not be there in the end. But I do think there were two games specifically that really, to me, confirmed how the rest of this season was going to look like in terms of just the big picture. There were other results that were interesting, but I don't know that they really surprised me or altered how I feel about things. Um, you know, as an example, UCLA losing to Fresno State. I told you a minute ago, I think UCLA is a good team. Thought they're maybe a 9 and 3 team, 8 and 4, something in that range. Never thought that this was an 11 and 1, 12 and 1 Pac 12 champion that's going to make the playoff. Clemson, never thought Clemson was good. Didn't think Clemson was good after that Georgia game. I was worried about that offense. It only confirmed to me that this offense is going to struggle to move the ball against just about anybody. I don't think they're a playoff team. Um, But there were two games to me that really did speak volumes about where we're headed in this season. The first one being Penn State, the second one being Auburn, uh, first first one being Penn State Auburn, second one being Alabama, Florida. And so we'll get to Alabama, Florida in a minute, maybe take a quick break, get to it. But I want to start with Penn State, Auburn, because to me, this game had a mega message behind it. And that is this. I don't know if Penn State's going to make the playoff. I don't know if they're going to win the Big Ten, but I think it's possible. I think they might be the best team in the Big Ten. I think they might be the most talented team in this conference. They certainly have a tough schedule. It's not going to be easy. But when you talk about teams that two, three weeks ago we weren't sure about, now two, three weeks later we sit there and say, they might be better than we thought. And now that we know more about them, and now that we know more about everybody else, they might be good enough to make a real run here. I do believe Penn State is one of them. And when I look at the Nittany Lions, first of all, that crowd, for, I, we'll get to the game in a minute, but that crowd in Happy Valley, unbelievable, okay? Shout out to all the Penn State fans. Don't know how many Penn State fans we have listened to this show, but if you listen, I hope you had a blast. I hope you had fun. I hope you were there, and I hope you certainly enjoyed the win. Incredible atmosphere, incredible to have fans back in the stands in college football. But when it came to the result on the field, I, I thought Penn State was always kind of in control of this game. And it's really interesting because, you know, you look at the final score. Penn State wins 28 to 20. If you look at the box score, Auburn has about the same offensive output as Penn State does. But if you watch the game, did it ever really feel like Penn State was out of control of this game? Like they weren't in control of this game? Like Auburn had taken it over and he needed this? No, there were times where the teams felt even. There were times where Penn State had to hold on. But there was never a time that Penn State did not feel like it was in control of this game. And I know. Auburn gifted them seven points by fumbling the first play of the second half leading to a touchdown. I understand that, uh, you know, the, the, the play calling late when uh, Auburn is dri- trying to drive to make it a 28-26 game was not ideal. But there was never a moment that I felt like Penn State was not in control of this game. And there was never a moment that I really felt like they're not going to win this game altogether. And, again, it speaks to what I just said a minute ago. When I look at this team, and I look, about, look at what I know about them through three weeks in this season and what I know about the rest of the Big Ten, I'm just telling you, this team has the feel of a playoff-type team in 2021, which would obviously be the first time that Penn State has made the college football playoff uh, in the college football playoff era. And why is that? It's a few reasons. First of all, this defense is phenomenal. We'll get back to Auburn specifically. But just in the big picture, this defense is awesome. And to James Franklin's credit, this defense has basically always been awesome as long as he has been there. Even last year when they stunk, they ranked 22nd nationally in total defense. Uh, they were able to stop people. Last year, they just couldn't score. The year before, they ranked in the top 20. The year before that, they ranked in the top 20. The year before that, they ranked number 12 nationally. The year before that, they, were, they ranked number 22 nationally. So basically, we now have like a six-year track record. Penn State's defense is awesome under James Franklin. This year is no exception. I know it wasn't easy against Wisconsin, uh, but they found a way to get a win. They shut down Wisconsin, especially in the second half of that game. And Saturday, it was kind of the same with Auburn. Now, I know Auburn was able to move the ball a little bit on offense, but Auburn's a really good team. Auburn has SEC caliber athletes. They have top 10, top 12 recruiting classes. Auburn is a solid football team. But when you look at the totality of the season, again, Penn State's going to be right there to have another elite defense. Uh, They've done it for years. You look at this year, the stats are a little skewed because they've played two top 20 teams in the first three weeks of the season. But yards per play, which is a really important stat, it kind of reflects how good your defense is on a play-to-play basis. Uh, It takes out weird special teams touchdowns or fumble, like whatever. Um, Yards per play, Penn State is number 20 nationally. Um, and they are not only number 20 nationally, but they are doing it, excuse me, 19th nationally, and they're doing it against a much tougher schedule than just about everybody uh, ahead of them, right? You look at who is ahead of them. I'll just give you an example. Clemson's ahead of them right now. Clemson's a really good defense, but I'll, I'll take Penn State's schedule, having played at Wisconsin, a Ball State team who was really good 7-1, and one, Auburn as well. I'll take that over Clemson's schedule. I'll take that over just about any schedule of anyone that has played Uh, ahead of Penn State, and they are playing great defense against really good teams. But what really stands out to me about Penn State and why I really think this year might be different for the Nittany Lions, it's the offense. Because as good as the defense has been, they really haven't had a super explosive dynamic offense since Joe Moorhead left, since Saquon Barkley was there, obviously, right? And then Joe Moorhead is the famous coordinator that was there at that time. Joe Moorhead leaves to take the Mississippi State job. He is now, of course, the offensive coordinator at Oregon. But since Joe Moorhead left, this offense has not been the same and has really struggled to move the ball. And that was why I was always concerned about this team coming into the year. I said, look, I know the defense is going to be good. I just don't know if they're going to be able to move the ball. I just don't know if they're going to be good enough. And so you look at this team and you look at what they've done so far, they've been awesome. Sean Clifford is a guy, a quarterback, that I was not sold on coming into this year. He was kind of one of those guys for people who don't watch Penn State on a minute-to-minute, week-to-week basis. He was just kind of a guy. Just kind of a guy prior to this season. Coming into this season, uh, you know, last year he completed 60% of his passes. year before, 59% of his passes. Last year, 16 touchdowns, 9 intercepts. He was just a guy. This year, he was unbelievable against Auburn on Saturday night. 28 of 32 passing. That's an 87% completion percentage for people who don't know. 280 yards passing, that's 8.8 yards per pass per completion, two touchdowns, one interception. And that is why this is, that is what changed about, because I liked Penn State coming into this year. I, I thought they could be good, they might be good, whatever. But now that they have a real quarterback that's making real plays with his arm, it's a completely different ballgame, because to win at the highest level, we've seen it time and time again. At some point, you're going to run into somebody with a super dynamic quarterback, and you got to go play for play with them. Um, you know, previous years, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, like those are the kind of guys that you play against once you get to the playoff. And those are the kind of guys that you even have to beat in the regular season to get to the playoff. And Penn State's never had that guy in the college football playoff era. And I'm not saying Sean Clifford, to be clear, I'm not saying Sean Clifford is Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, whoever, Justin Fields, Tua. What I am saying though, is he can keep them competitive, and the way he's playing right now, the way he's passing the ball right now, he is going to make enough big plays with his arm where all of a sudden Penn State doesn't have to beat everybody 20-13, to 17-13, 17-10, 10-7. They can now win a game 28-20 against Auburn. They might have to score 35 to beat Ohio State, and they might be able to do it, one, because Ohio State's defense stinks, but two, because they might finally have the quarterback do it. So I don't want to overdo it, and it is worth noting with Penn State Schedule's brutal. Big Ten did them no favors. They already played at Wisconsin. They still have to play at Iowa, who is awesome. They still have to play at Ohio State. And even if they beat Ohio State, as I just said with Ohio State, because I don't think Ohio State's good this year. You can go back if you missed that part, if you fast forwarded to this part. I don't think Ohio State's very good this year. But even if they beat Ohio State, the rest of the Big Ten is loaded. Uh, Michigan State, all of a sudden, is not a pushover like they were the last couple of years. Penn State has to close at Michigan State to end of the year. Michigan, I'm just telling you, I know we love to crush Harvard. They scored on their first nine possessions on Saturday, okay? They might legitimately be good. Maryland's not a pushover. Rutgers isn't a pushover. And, of course, you have at Ohio State and at Iowa. So I don't want to go overboard with the Penn State love. I don't want to start guaranteeing things that I can't guarantee that I don't know if they're going to happen. All I am telling you, though, is I don't think that it's inconceivable uh, that they are the best team in the Big Ten and that they ultimately make the playoff. As far as Auburn's concerned, I just—I mean, Auburn kind of looked like I thought Auburn was going to look like. They are a team that needs to rely on defense, needs to rely on the run game to have success and to win at the highest level this year. And to their credit, they kind of did it. They kind of played their blueprint. They did what they were supposed to do. They did what they had to do. uh, And they kept it competitive. Again, final score is 28-20. They were able to move the ball, especially on the ground. Tank Bigsby, their running back, was awesome. Almost five yards per carry, over 100 yards rushing. And the defense was really good. Defense did what it could. Obviously, like I said, uh, uh, Penn State was basically gifted seven points. And outside of that, it was it was, it was was a tie ball game. So I don't think Auburn showed me really anything they didn't. I thought it was a great effort. Didn't show me anything that I wasn't expecting. Thought it was a great effort. I still think it comes down to a few things. One, is at any point, is Bo going to be able to make big plays in big games that matter? No disrespect to the kid. Don't like to tear him apart, but I just said it was Spencer Rattler. At a certain point, you kind of are who you are you're either you're three now you either get the job done or you don't Bo Nix I thought showed signs of improvement he was also 21 to 35 185 yards five yards per completion which means he's not moving the ball downfield with the pass and part of it is I think they took the ball out of his hands but you can't win games like that and the other concern I have with Auburn the SEC West is insane right now like I looked at Auburn's schedule uh, just to kind of I just want to see what it looked like um Auburn's schedule is bananas, okay? So they play Georgia State this weekend. And then after Georgia State, here are their next five games. This is Auburn's next five games after Georgia State. They play at LSU. LSU might not be good. Tiger Stadium it easy, though. Then Georgia, no big deal. Then at Arkansas, who's currently ranked number 16 in the country. Then you get a bye. Then Ole Miss at home. Oh, Ole Miss just put up 60 points in three quarters against Tulane. Matt Corral is now the Heisman favorite, it's worth noting. And they have at a and So those are their next five. They play Georgia State this weekend. Then at LSU, Georgia, at Arkansas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. So good luck, Auburn. You are going to need it. Brian Harson, welcome to the SEC. I think Auburn's a really solid team. By the way, I didn't even mention they closed with some school called Alabama at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, this is what the SEC is like. Brian Harson wanted to be here, um, and this is what you get. So what I want to do, take another quick break, uh, come back, talk Alabama and Florida, and then we'll wrap on a couple other topics. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, final time today. want to hit on a couple more games. We'll get to some of the smaller storylines and narratives at the end of the show. But what I told you a few minutes ago was this. I believe that there were two games this weekend that really kind of reshaped how I feel about the totality and everything going on in college football right now that were bigger than just a result on the field. The first one was Penn State-Auburn. I just talked about it. Penn State wins, 100,000 people. Love Penn State. My Nittany Lions. the Lions. Okay, that's bad. Enough animal noises for today. I'm 45 minutes in. I got to stop with the animal noises. But the second one was Alabama-Florida as Alabama goes and beats Florida 31-29 to in the swamp. But why this result was important was for one simple reason. It is because it confirmed something to me that I had been hearing that I did not agree with, and I think it confirmed that – I think I'm going to end up being right on this one, and it's, it's just this very simple narrative. It is the idea that I heard from a couple people in the media over the last two, three, four weeks, it's Alabama and it's everybody else. Nobody else is even close. Everybody's playing for second place. And I said, wait a second. I I think it's a – Torres comes in with some hot takes every now and again, but that feels a little presumptuous. And I think Saturday proved Alabama is a really good team. But the idea that the season is over and everybody is playing for second place, it's simply not true. Now, before we go forward, before we get into the game itself, like it's worth noting, this is not me tearing down Alabama. And the bottom line was, at the end of the day, they got out of the swamp with a 31-29 win, as I just said. And credit to them, right? There aren't very many teams that can go into the swamp on that afternoon and do uh, what Alabama did, which is escape with a victory. 100,000 people, redshirt freshman quarterback. So many of these players had never played in a true road environment before. And so to go and get a win should not be overshadowed. And the next four, five, six minutes are not going to be me just tearing down Alabama because they only won by two. That's not who I am. That's not what this is about. But what I try to do with every single relevant topic that I talk about on this show is give you the 360-degree angle. And the 360-degree angle is this. Alabama is beatable this year. There might only be three, four, five teams. It might be more. It might be fewer. It might not come to the playoff. It might come in the SEC regular season. They might lose in the SEC regular season then come back and win the national championship. But the idea that this, this team is unbeatable simply isn't true. And I'll tell you why. Because if you watch this game, there's a simple truth. The last three quarters of the game, Florida was the better team. And we'll get into Florida in a minute, but let me give, give a quick shout-out to Dan Mullen and his crew. Because I said two, three weeks ago, I didn't see it with this team. I didn't think they were very good. I thought they were limited. And this, I, I thought Alabama could be exposed. I did not think this was the game. And so to the Florida fans that say, Torres, you hate Florida. You never say anything nice. Let me say this. You guys were awesome the last three quarters of that game. And they were the better team. And I think there's Alabama fans listening to this, shaking their head, saying, you know what? Aaron's right. They were the better team over the last three quarters. And if you don't believe me, we have the facts to back it up, okay? Alabama, to their credit, hostile environment, come out, ready to go, jump out to a 21-3 lead. Good. Good for them. That's incredible. Top 10 team on the road. I guess Florida's number 11, whatever. Top 15 team on the road, swamp 100,000 people, get out to a 21-3 lead. That is awesome. Credit to the coaching, credit to the preparation, all that stuff. Here's what happened though over the final three quarters of the game Florida outscored Alabama 26 to 10. Final three quarters, Alabama up 21 3 after the first, 26 to 10 over the final three quarters. On top of that, Florida, more total first downs, more total yards, over 100 more total yards. And here's what blew me away. 245 yards rushing for Florida including six yards per carry in that game and if you watch this game that was the shocker of it all I've seen Alabama win games I've seen Alabama lose games but even when Alabama loses games and they did win so credit to them for winning but even when they lose games it usually takes a superhuman effort from somebody to knock them off um Deshaun Watson one year, Johnny Manziel one year, Cam Newton, um, Joe Burrow, unbelievable. Those are all first-round picks. All you know, a couple Heisman Trophy winners in there. Whatever. What was different Saturday? There was no superhuman effort. Florida just absolutely dominated both lines. Florida was the tougher team. Florida was the more physical team. Florida took it to Alabama after the first series or two. As I said, six yards rushing per carry for Florida, 245 yards rushing in this game. When Alabama had the ball, they were held to 91 yards rushing, 3.3 yards per carry. And this was the first time I think I saw this stat since 2014 that Alabama was held under 100 rushing yards in a game. You know, I, I don't even know the exact stat. But it has been a long, long, long time since Alabama was held under 100 rushing yards, and it spoke to the fact Florida was the more physical, more dominant team on both sides of the ball. Again, final three quarters, outscored them 26 to 10. Six yards per carry, more first downs, more total yards. I know it's cliche to say, I know games are only four quarters. If that game goes another two possessions, Florida wins, and it's going to overtime if they had just made a PAT earlier in the game. Then they would have had to go for two on the goal line. And so when I look at this game in the bigger picture, what it tells me is this: it's not to say Alabama's a bad team. It's not to say they won't win the national championship. It's not even to say that they won't go undefeated while winning the national championship. What it says to me, though, is that this road is not going to be easy, and they're just not going to steamroll over everybody because they got that crimson A on their uniforms because they wear the white and crimson because they're Alabama that's that's not going to happen this year okay and it's especially not going to happen because I think the SEC West is different than we were expecting but in some ways is tougher than we were expecting Texas A&M could still ball I don't know that they're better than we were expecting but they're not terrible but you know who is better than we were expecting Ole Miss who comes to Tuscaloosa in a few weeks and I would argue Ole Miss played Alabama tougher than anybody last year final score might not indicate it Al- Ole Miss gave Alabama everything they could handle in Oxford. By the way, Matt Corral, now the new Heisman Trophy favorite in Vegas. Arkansas looks better than we thought. Do I believe they're going to come to Bryant-Denny and get the win? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that game looks tougher than it did. I'll even say Auburn looks tougher than it did even two, three, four weeks ago. On top of that, you have Tennessee, LSU, Mississippi State. But the point that I'm trying to make is that this team is not unbeatable. And so what will be fascinating is Nick Saban has been frustrated over the last two, three, four weeks about the team's mental focus outside of that first half against Miami. They, they weren't that great in the second half. They weren't that great in the uh, Mercer game. And outside the first quarter, they were not that great against Florida. On the flip side, they got the win. Credit to them for going to the Swamp and getting the win. I'm just telling you, it is not as sure of a thing as everybody thought, Alabama is a good team. And what I will tell you is this, if you're an Alabama fan, I think what you do have to feel better about, I've kind of spent a lot of this show picking apart some of these top teams. And I don't think Alabama has has that big worry that some of these other teams do. Clemson can't move the ball. That's a big worry for Clemson. Um, Ohio State can't stop anybody. That is a big worry for Ohio State. Oklahoma, I don't even know what they are. Not great on defense, not great on offense. Alabama, I think we'll get there. I think it'll take time. But with this SEC schedule, it is going to be much tougher. And I just want to put to bed the narrative that they are unbeatable, that there's nobody even close, because that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. Really quickly on Florida, I'll just give them credit. I said it a minute ago, um, you know, uh, coming in, I was not a fan of them. Coming in, I said after the first game of the year against Florida Atlantic, they don't do anything at an elite level. If they don't get it figured out, if they don't figure out the quarterback situation, they're not going to be very good this year. Uh, Yeah, where Aaron was wrong. They were awesome. As I said, they were the better team over th- the final three quarters. You could argue they deserved to win that game. And Dan Mullen had them prepared. And what was especially interesting, I talked about it on Friday's show. They played the quarterback that we weren't even expecting him to play, Emory Jones. The backup who's probably the better player, Anthony Richardson, we believe he was nursing a hamstring injury, so it remains to be seen. Was it injury-related? Did, did Dan Mullen just trust Emory Jones more? But Emory Jones played well, and more than anything, they were just really physical on both sides of the ball. And so, yeah, it does change my projection and the trajectory of this team. They are better than I thought they were. And it's really funny because, you know, I, I, I've i started now on my Instagram page. Make sure you're following at Aaron underscore Torres or Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. Excuse me. Um, you know, I started putting out a top 15, top 10 every week. And this week, you know, Florida was my highest ranked one loss team. I think they're better than Clemson right now. I think they're better than Ohio State right now. I have them ranked ahead of a couple undefeated teams, including Oklahoma and Texas A&M, because I, I, that loss to me against Alabama showed more than a lot of these teams win had. So shout out to Florida. I think they're better than I gave them credit for. I think they're a real threat to Georgia and the SEC East. I'm not going to try to piece together the scenario where if they win out and Georgia does this and out. Like, no, we'll get to all that eventually. But with that said, credit to Florida we will see how they bounce back they have Tennessee this weekend at Kentucky which will not be an easy game at Florida or at LSU excuse me over the next five weeks before a bye and Georgia really quickly just some other storylines from Saturday Um, you know first of all I mentioned it a minute ago Ole Miss is awesome like like Ole Miss is freaking awesome okay and I saw this story that Matt Corral is now the Heisman Trophy favorite how about this for Matt Corral finish the game on, first of all, Ole Miss wins 61 to 21. They play Tulane. Remember, Tulane almost beat Oklahoma a few weeks ago. They beat Tulane 61 to 21. They had 61 points at the end of the third quarter, and Lane Kiffin basically called off the dogs. Matt Corral, as I said, three touchdowns passing, another four touchdowns rushing. He is now the Heisman Trophy favorite. And the one thing I can definitively tell you, they are not slowing down for everybody. They're going to win a lot of games. I I don't know if it's 10 and two and they compete for the division title. I don't know who, who trips them up. I don't know where it happens. It's a really, really, really good football team. Um, And Matt Corral is the Heisman trophy favorite. And it's really interesting because you look at what they did to a Tulane team. Remember Tulane, by the way, just two weeks ago, played at Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler, one touchdown, one interception, Matt Corral, seven total touchdowns. That's the difference between a guy that's a Heisman Trophy winner and a guy that maybe isn't quite living up to expectations. So Ole Miss gets it done. I don't want to start putting a ceiling on can they make the playoff? Are they fringe this? Can they win the division? I don't know. I just know they're awesome to watch. And they're another one. You know, I mean, you know, they're up to number 13 in the country as I record here. They have have a bye, then Alabama, then Arkansas. We're going to learn out just quick how good they are. A couple other stories. Speaking of Ole Miss, speaking of Lane Kiffin, um, Lane Kiffin's former school, USC, they destroyed Washington State on Saturday. Uh, the final score there was 45 to 14. USC scores the final 45 points of the game for the win. And I'm just warning you, you want a narrative? I'm going to tell you a narrative. USC is going to win a lot of games the rest of the year. I don't know exactly how many, but I guarantee they are going to win enough games that it is going to make it tough on the administration not to keep the current interim head coach. I don't think they'll keep them. I don't think they'll keep them. But I think this is a 9-3, 10-2 type team. The kids clear. If you watch the game, the kids clearly love playing for him. He's an energetic guy, yelling, screaming, chest bumping, the exact kind of guy they needed in replacement of Clay Helton. And he is going to make it tough on their bosses because he is the exact guy they need, and USC has the talent. A couple other notes, Jackson Dart. Uh, so USC had Keaton Slovis, their starting quarterback. He gets hurt. This kid Jackson Dart comes in. 30 of 46 passing. He was unbelievable. And I'm just telling you, USC is going to win a lot of games. And I'll take it one step further. Um, I actually believe this. If USC gets the right coach, this is going to be, this is Torres's official hot take for this episode of the Aaron Torres podcast. If USC gets the right coach for this job next season, I don't know who that is. Is it Urban Meyer, who's now 0-2 as an NFL head coach? Is it James Franklin if he doesn't make the playoff, which I think he might. Is it Luke Fickle? Is it Mario Cristobal? Is it this, is that? If they get the right coach, I believe they will be in playoff contention next season. Not 2023, not 2027, not 2034 when the playoff is 37 teams. I believe that as early as next year, they can be in playoff contention because there is no doubt the talent is there on this roster. It remains to be seen what happens with USC. A couple other notes. Bad day for the Pac-12, UCLA. They lose to Fresno. I'm not surprised. Fresno's a good team. I had the over in this game. Fresno comes back to win 40-37. to uh, Almost 600 yards of total offense for Fresno. Just a bad day for UCLA. Listen, I can sit here and yell and scream and do the hot take thing on UCLA. They're a 9-3 team. They're a 9-3 team. Uh, UCLA will bounce back. They have Stanford this weekend, Arizona State coming up, and then a showdown in a few weeks with Oregon. Um, and that's really it from across college football. Miami got destroyed by Michigan State. Uh, I don't know when, but uh, Mario, uh, Manny Diaz is not trending in the best direction to continue to be the head coach at Miami. He It's now year three. He's 15 and 12. It is not ideal. Um, and so keep an eye on that situation because it was really bad. They got destroyed by Michigan State. With that said, I think that's it. I think that's it for this episode of the air sports podcast. I will be back later this week. Um, You know, part of it depends on, is it going to be a Tuesday show? Is it going to be a Wednesday show? We have a big commitment from Derek Lively, the number two high school basketball player in America, depending on where he commits, depending on how it goes down, depending on what the narrative is. I may come back early on Tuesday. Uh, Otherwise look for a new episode Wednesday. Also make sure College Football Betting Podcast with Aaron Torres. If you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. My college football picks went 5-2 and this weekend. I'm comfortably over 500 for the year. Great weekend for the college football picks. And I appreciate your guys' support of that show uh, because that show, the numbers have gone up every single week back to two episodes a week for that show. But, yeah, I think that's it. Before we get out of here, I want to make sure, by the way, on on top of the college football betting show, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you are following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com for any questions about the show and Aaron Torres online. All my writing is up there. Now we got a bunch of really talented uh, writers on that website as well. So make sure you're checking out Aaron Torres online once a day for all sorts of good stuff from AT's world. We're going to have some other really kind of cool announcements in terms of social media and stuff like that, a potentially really big announcement coming this week. So stay tuned for that. But that is all. For this segment of the Aaron Taurus Sports Podcast. That is all for this episode of the Aaron Taurus Sports Podcast. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I will be back Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, with a new episode of the Aaron Taurus Sports Podcast. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.